Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Rookies and quarterbacks report next week, but we've got a few things to get you caught up on ahead of Chiefs training camp. So we'll start things off today with the Arrowhead Pride Out of Structure podcast discussing what we don't know ahead of Chiefs training camp. After that, I sat down with Virginia Tech safeties coach Pearson Prelo to get to know new chief safety Chamari Connor a little bit. After that, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we get back, we'll wrap things up with show MBK, myself, on the show Hughley, discuss the new Netflix series Quarterback and how it just builds upon the legend of Patrick Mahomes. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Yeah, what we don't know about the Chiefs right now, which, you know, I, I, I think we take pride sags in knowing a lot about this team. Uh, and so what, what do we not know about the team? And, and the obvious one right now is, is Chris Jones' status, his, 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 at, his overall playing status. I mean, he's going into his final year of his contract. Obviously, we're all kind of on watch to see if an extension gets signed. Um, the franchise tag deadline is coming up, I want to say, actually, this week, possibly. I know it's, uh, I know it's in the teens of July that the franchise tag line uh, or it's just before training camp, which obviously again, we're getting to. So that's the thing. I, I think Chris Jones obviously is the main thing. I mean, d- is this going to be some holdout situation because he's asking for, you know, just an outrageous, uh, you know, number, which honestly he kind of deserves it at, at this point. You know, last season was a historic dominant uh, season for a defensive lineman, especially a defensive tackle. Um, you know, the defensive tackles really don't do what he did last season. So, that's the main thing right now, Stags, which obviously not a great thing uh, to, to kind of not know about. So, uh, you know, obviously that one's more of, uh, you know, hard to break down, right? We, it's kind of up in the air. Um, but do you have any reaction to kind of or any uh, any takes on the Chris Jones uh, situation? Yeah, it is interesting that July 17th is the is the franchise tag deadline, which we use as a proxy because Chris Jones is not on the franchise tag. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm I don't know why I was. Yeah, you're right. I'm. That's true, yeah, but I do. I don't think there is a. I guess you're right. There is no extension deadline. Then I'm just thinking. I'm. I'm thinking like he's on the franchise tag. So thank you for correcting me there. But I've I've heard others talk about that as a, as a sort of a, a landmark when you come to talk about the, this contract status. So we can well, and, sorry, we can and, chop that up a little bit. Oh no, I no, it's completely fine because I do think it's it's just in general an important deadline because you don't want to kind of go into camp without the extension done is the thing. So I guess you can just look at it as, you know, the deadline itself is just the camp starting, right? Which again, we're coming up on. And so yeah, I, I think it would be nice to get some news this week, right? Maybe before that 17th date because they they do report to camp I think around that time too. Again, the 23rd is that first open public practice. They have some time before that. Um, at St. Joe's. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think either way, I think the, the Chris Jones situation is definitely number one. But on, related to that, he's obviously yeah, the team's elite elite pass rusher, the number one pass rusher. I think the second question is, who is this team's second best pass rusher? I think we, mm-hmm. we maybe hope we know or maybe have some, uh, you know, some expectations. But do we actually know, Stags, who the team's second best pass rusher? I'm not quite sure. We don't. And just real quick back on the Chris Jones thing. I mean, I think whether it's a deadline, a hard deadline, a soft deadline or whatever, getting him re-signed was probably the number one priority of this offseason. And, and it hasn't happened yet. Right. So we've been talking about this for a while. So getting him re-signed would open things up. It could change their ability to to make other moves. It, it uh, Obviously, you want to keep him happy and avoid a holdout. I mean, there's a lot of ancillary things that come up. Uh, with this contract so it's certainly not to be overlooked 
again, whether there's an official deadline or an unofficial one, either way, you're talking about a really important piece. And I think it's something that they have prioritized, but monster deals take a long time to negotiate. Uh, and it's been eerily quiet lately. So uh, do you have an expectation that they actually will sign him before, before camp starts? I mean, we've seen them do it before, right? Jones has actually been mm-hmm. in this situation himself, right? And, and has gotten it done around the same time. Mahomes' contract was done mm-hmm. in the same time frame. We do still have this little window before they get to camp. But again, it's, it's coming up. So it is really this week coming up, right? We're talking uh, July 9th. Um, and, and they kind of need to get it done before the July 20th-ish is when camp's getting going. So I'd, I would expect it, though. I would expect. I think Chris Jones last year cemented himself as as not just like a great player among among the NFL. I think, I mean, I think last year he solidified himself as an all-time kind of pass rusher player. Um, obviously, he you know, he added some other stuff to his game, you know, being a very good run defender, which which makes him all the more reason to maybe sign him. But it's not like we're talking about a, a Calias Campbell aged, you know, guy where he's he's, you know, Chris Jones still going to have some elite years in him, even if, if uh, you know, maybe that last year, the deal, whatever he signs uh, isn't isn't as good as last year was. I mean, he's still going to be worth the money. Yeah, so I think, I think eventually it gets to that. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it's just odd. It's an odd process sitting around waiting for something like that to happen. Obviously, they could let him play out the last year of his contract uh, with that big cap number in place and just see what happens. But, you know, you, they don't like to sign a lot of people over 30. He's not yet there, but he's he's close enough. Uh, so it, it is um, – I'd say it's probably 50-50 chance at this point. Well, let's – But, let's, of course while – we're, While we're talking about this, do you want to bring in Phil's question? Because, I mean, he does ask us, Phil, at Hamster1 on Twitter – did ask us about the Chiefs franchise tagging Chris Jones next year, right? Because if so, and this is what he says, it, uh, there's two more years of, of team control. You know, that puts the Chiefs in the best contra- contractual position possibly is what he's saying. It's a bit expensive but avoids long-term. Understood this approach, uh, discounts relationship with Chris Jones, obviously, right? The personal relationship. So, I don't know. Do you, and, and we looked at franchise tag numbers, right? Next year, it looks like defensive tackle would probably be around $20 million-ish, right? And that's what Chris Jones is roughly getting paid right now. Um, what do you think about that possibility? Do you kind of think about uh, that uh, if you're Brett Veach? I mean, is that the nuclear option here with a uh, uh, with a player on a, on a big contract that wants another big contract? Uh, players would hate that scenario, right? It, sure, it's two years of guaranteed money pr- pretty close to the top of the position group, but you're going to take away his, two of his prime years without the ability for him to get that big signing bonus or that long-term deal. Uh, so I, I think you run a risk of, of, like you said, breaking the relationship and having a guy thinking about holding out and things like that when you start throwing the franchise tag weight around. But you, I do know that they use that as part of the negotiation, right? So when they're looking at his contract, I guarantee they're saying, all right, if we don't sign a long-term deal today, uh, here's what it would look like. So you're going to have this much guaranteed the next two years so as the floor, the starting point for for his future contract. So, you know, it's certainly in the team's best interest to get it done long term. Yeah. They would have that option. And yeah, in theory, if, if a player was content enough with that, then it's not a bad option. You get two years without extending him further and and then you can you know, make a move after that. But I, I think that it's, I think that it is a, a, a tough negotiating tactic and probably something that would not go over well uh, if, if you actually said, 
now nah, we're just gonna we're just gonna tag you and make you play on that. No, it is interesting because you know in most situations maybe like this where maybe you have a rookie deal that that's coming up where you want to extend him before he becomes a free agent and go to the franchise tag situation. The player's not getting the money that he deserves, right? You could argue Chris Jones is getting paid right now what he what he earned. You know, maybe he should maybe he should get paid a little more, right? I mean, he's a dominant player. Um, but he's already getting paid, you know, towards the top of the market um, as a defensive lineman in general. So, you know, maybe the Chiefs can kind of use that as a negotiation tactic. Like, you know, we can play hardball because, you know, hey, you're making money this year no matter what. And it's not because you're on this one-year uh, franchise tag thing. It's part of your, you know, part of the contract we gave you, um, you know. So it, it will be an interesting situation. But, again, if he does hold out, if this thing does get weird, right, which I don't anticipate it, we don't anticipate it, the Chiefs' second best pass rusher, I think, is is kind of up in the air. I don't think it's uh, the, we know who it mm-hmm. is, and I think we again, I, I think there's some expectations, some hope, right? But would you do you have a, a clear answer in your head, or is it kind of up in the air to you too? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's it's absolutely up in the air, and and you brought in Charles Amenahu to be that guy, and, and I think there's some hope that he is. He's still an ascending player, had a monster year last year, really, uh, you know, coming into his own. Uh, as a rotational player, though, so he's he's not right to this point been that dominant single single player. And then after him, what do you have? George Karloftis, who you know had a good rookie season, but uh, is not you know a feared pass rusher in this league yet. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those. If you want to talk about leverage for Chris Jones, he could he could pretty easily say, "Who's the second best pass rusher after me?" on the team. And I, I'm not sure that there's a great answer. I think you got a bunch of guys who are, you know, as a, as a group end up being pretty good. Obviously last year, the team was second in the league in sacks and, and uh, uh, you know, with nobody really being a, a dominant pass rusher other than Chris Jones. Right. But yeah, I mean, who, who do you got other than Omenihu? I mean, Felix Enrique Ozama is a first round pick. So you could make the argument, uh, you know, that, someone like him should be able to be in that conversation. I do think in some ways he's going to be able to help right away, but I'm completely with you. I think it's, this team is death by a thousand paper cuts as a pass rush unit outside of Chris Jones. Like it really is, you know, we're just going to hustle, you know, all of us are going to hustle hard and we're just going to find that one weak spot in your line. And we're just going to hope our guy that whoever's in that spot, right. Whether it is Omenihue, Karloftis, FAU, uh, you know, we'll talk about Mike Dana uh, here a little later too, but you know, Tershawn Warden, someone underrated, someone maybe we're not thinking about as much because he was injured last season. They're just hoping that whoever, you know, whoever has that weak spot can take advantage of it, um, but not necessarily ever have a guy that's just going to overwhelm anybody he goes against. Um, but I do think if I'm going to make a prediction on who will be kind of like the guy we we can't like come, you know, towards the end of the season, like, OK, this is the guy we can trust the most in that situation. I do think Garloftis, I, I think, you know, he's going to get strong and, and strong, a little stronger and just, you know, he, he put up a sack a game towards the, you know, at, in the, down the stretch of the season last year. You know, I do, I do think just him playing a lot of uh, uh, snaps and, and just maybe, you know, uh, feeling more comfortable in his, in his role in the, in the defense, I could see him, you know, kind of earning our trust as the, as the season goes on as the second guy. It'd be a great development if, if he continues on the path that uh, he's already, reached about where i thought he would get so so if he's if he's exceeding that this year then then that's a huge development for this team i i do have a lot of hope for felix i think he's he's a player that i loved in the pre-draft process it's just we haven't seen him at all yet 
like not 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 even a little bit right so there's there's a complete unknown factor you know he could be the next big thing and and a steal and or he could be a complete wasted first round pick at this point we we have absolutely no idea what he is so i'm not really willing to bank on him yet uh until we see even in preseason i think you'll you'll get some yeah. hint in preseason is he getting first team snaps you know second team snaps and is he making the most of those uh, I think we'll know whether or not he's going to be a contributor pretty, pretty early on. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with that too, but the thing uh, I also want to talk on, on, on too, cause you did bring him up kind of as that first guy. Cause, cause it is true. I mean, he's the, he's the guy who signed the contract. He's the guy who, who to an extent has proven it in the league more so than Carl Loftus and uh, you know, FAU obviously has just as a pass rusher, not as maybe a defensive end necessarily, but that's the thing is what a many who does best is, is kind of what Chris Jones does. And, and to an extent, they may need him to do more of that edge edge pass rush stuff. And, and I'm not quite sure if he's, if he's ready to be, you know, a, a reliable edge rusher yet, or, or if he's just going to have to rely on getting that guard and, you know, one-on-one and Hey, you know, that's great. But a lot of guys can take advantage of that guard one-on-one when the center's sliding over for Chris Jones, that's, that's that kind of the beauty of that role is that you can have your Tershawn Wharton, your Mike Dana, somebody else kind of do that because it's kind of an easier, you know, role for somebody. You know, you want your uh, your best pass rushers to be able to win, you know, one-on-one against an offensive tackle on the edge. And so it's yet to be seen if a many who's going to do that consistently. So that's where I'd say Karloftis maybe has the edge in my head right now. But um, unless you want to add anything else, let's talk about another thing we don't know, Stags. We don't know about this team. Well, I'm going to throw one in here and say we don't know yet who the last couple wide receivers are going to be on this roster. I mean, we think we know. We've got – I think the top of the wide receiver room is pretty well set. But I still think there's some question mark. There's some intrigue coming into camp. You could see Ross or Ross or, uh, you know, one of these other guys coming in and and really making a – uh, making a splash during camp and at least giving the Chiefs something to think about when it comes to that six wide receiver spot. And do they carry to, do they carry a seventh? Is that something they're willing to do this year, which is a little, would be a little bit unusual for them. Right. Exactly. It is. It would be unique, um, you know, cause they've even gone down to five at times going into a, a season, right. Where they've only had five on the active roster technically, and so, yeah, if you look at if you break it down, you know, you know that uh, MVS, you know, that Kadarius, Tony, Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice are all making this roster. There's no doubt about it. Right. We're, we're, no one's arguing that those guys are, are surprise cuts or anything. And so, yeah, that leaves you a group of like you got uh, guys that you mentioned, you know, because Justin Watson, as much as he contributed to this team last year, you know, there's a lot of times that we were kind of scratching our heads on why he was seeing the ball so much. And there's no guarantee he makes the team just because he was on the team last year. Um, you know, we're going to talk about him a little later. I'm excited about a guy like Richie James. You know, does he do enough to maybe su- supplant him, uh, you know, a guy like Justin Watson? And then they want to make that use that sixth spot for somebody else. Right. Uh, you know, one of these guys that, you know, a guy like Justin Ross that they've developed or tried to develop over the last couple of years. So I'm fascinated, too. But, you know, if I was to predict the six receivers, I would tell you that I think Watson and, and, and Richie James are the guys uh, in the last two. But you're right. I don't think we do know because once we get to camp, if, if if one of the Rosses and we'll talk about, you know, we'll, we'll talk about another, uh, you know, him a little later. But if one of the Rosses does show out enough, they both have a certain skill set that the team, you know, in theory, might might want to use. Yeah, I, I think there's a possibility there. And 
I, I wouldn't rule out now with the way the, the roster rules have been put together. I wouldn't rule out them using the franchise. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't rule, rule out them using the practice squad uh, yeah. as, as a way to expand that wide receiver room because mm-hmm. there's some of these guys that haven't been seen in a long time. There's not going to be teams lined up to, to take John Ross uh, off of the Chiefs practice squad because uh, he really hasn't been in the NFL for some time. He at least hasn't been an impact player uh, for, for a long time. So there's there's a good chance that they're going to have, like you said, five or six on the active roster, but they may expand that roster by using the practice squad. And, and a guy like Justin Ross, who, again, has proven nothing yet, uh, but if they want to keep him around, they want to keep developing him, but he hasn't yet done enough to make the roster, I wouldn't rule out him being a practice squad candidate because uh, a lot of people think that he'd get – swallowed up the second he got caught but i think there's a lot of players like him in this league uh that, that wouldn't be there well and there is something too the chiefs have had him in in house so you know it's it's one of those things that other teams may not feel comfortable you know using a spot and and you know as much as we think justin ross is this unicorn player uh you know when he if he is healthy you know it's been a couple draft sack cycles now, you know, younger guys come in, you know, teams kind of forget about the other guys. So there, I think you're right. I think Justin Ross, you know, could be more easily, not for sure, but more easily stashed on the practice squad than maybe people think if he's healthy, you know, even if he is healthy in the preseason, you know, if he, even if he shows out in, in a game, but I think another one on the offensive side too would be, like, do we know for sure that they upgraded at offensive tackle, just the general overall position? Um, you know, I think in theory, I think everyone we get excited about Jawan Taylor, the signing, and and I and and I am excited about him. He is a good pass blocker. Um, but you know, Andrew Wiley was a very solid player and, and knew the system towards the end. And Orlando Brown Jr., it, I would say, is a solid player as well. Obviously, a very you know a, a functional player. Just obviously, you know, maybe his ceiling was maybe limited. You know, the Chiefs are putting, you know, a Donovan Smith that you could make the argument is the exact same profile, you could say, uh, you know, in that in that situation, um, you know, maybe even a little older um, coming off, maybe a, an even worse year than maybe Brown had. Uh, you could debate. So, you know, is it yet to be seen that we actually did see the Chiefs upgraded offensive tackle or are we going to get to the season and realize that it's, it's actually closer than we think? What do you think? I think it's going to be close. Um, I do think that. Jawan Taylor is a pretty clear upgrade. If he stays at right tackle, it's a pretty clear upgrade. He's, he's going to be the best right tackle they've had, you know, since Mitchell Swartz. I think that's, I don't think that's too much of an I overstatement. Agree. Now, if he, if he takes over left tackle, you know, then it's more of an unknown, but if the way they're lining up today, if it's Donovan Smith at left and Jawan Taylor at right, then I would say chances are it's going to be, as good or better than last year. So I, I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, if if Taylor's a big upgrade at right tackle and if Smith is at least in the ballpark of where Brown was last year, uh, if you maybe slight downgrade at left tackle, big upgrade at right tackle, cancel each other out, you're probably at least as well off, if not better. So if those guys are healthy and those guys are the starters – I think it's a better room overall because don't forget Wanya Morris is there and, and Lucas Niang is here and healthy. Um, You know, I think you've got second year Darren Kennard there. You've got a handful of of depth players. This might be the deepest group they've had for sure. And then on top of that, at the top end, at least as good. I feel like it's a pretty much a given, but 
that could be, you know, up in the air if they decide to switch stuff around in camp, uh, or maybe Smith doesn't look right and they and they go a different direction. There could be there could be some things that change in that assumption, but uh, I feel pretty confident in saying they're at least as good, if not better. We're very excited, as you mentioned. Uh, camp is just right around the corner in college and in the NFL, and Chiefs. Uh, Rookies and quarterbacks actually report next week for the Kansas City Chiefs since they're opening the NFL season. They're reporting to camp a little bit early this year as defending Super Bowl champions. And they had a a stellar rookie draft class last year. And Chiefs fans are hopeful that they'll get similar returns from this group of rookies. And they've been especially good over the last few years at finding playmakers in the secondary outside of the first round in the draft. So we're all hoping that Chamari Connor can help continue that trend for the Kansas City Chiefs secondary. But uh, Pearson, for Chiefs fans who aren't as studied up on him, can you just start things off by telling us a little bit about your time coaching Chamari and what they can expect to see from him next week when rookies and quarterbacks report? Well, you know, uh, being able to, uh, you know, be around Chamari for four seasons, it, it was a pleasure because we know we had an alpha in the room when we had him. We, he was a quiet guy that led by example, but he knew when to speak up and be vocal. And uh, he got really good at it, uh, especially his senior year. But he, he, he's a Swiss Army knife, man. If, you, if there's a hole that you need plugged into your secondary, either it be nickel, either the safety spots, even at corner, there's a guy that has enough confidence and has played enough snaps and is willing to be taught and they go out on the field and perform at any position. And that's what he did for us, man. Uh, you know, he was a guy that stepped in and, and and never asked questions. He just, you know, always said, hey, what do you want me to do, coach? Whatever it is, coach, he'll move positions. He played special teams. You're going to get a guy that's going to come to work every single day, ready to learn, ready to play, that's going to play with a lot of effort and is ready to be an alpha male in that locker room. And that's something that I think the Chiefs have kind of changed their approach over the last couple of years where they're really identifying these hyper-athletic kind of Swiss Army knife defensive backs and it just continues to work out for them. Like they they continue to to put guys out there on the field who are making plays in that secondary who who were drafted a little bit in in the more mid-rounds of the NFL draft. And, you know, last year they brought in Justin Reed. They also drafted Brian Cook, who figures to be a much bigger part of their defense in year two. But when I'm diving into Chamari Connors' film, he really seems like he's kind of a similar style of player, like the safeties that they already have in the room. He's just does not seem like he is in any way afraid to come up to the line of scrimmage and really lay a hit on, on an opposing player. I mean, he, he definitely enjoys playing around the football and close to the line of scrimmage. He's not afraid to cover, but – once the ball takes course, either by the air or on the ground, and he finds a track, he's going to track it all the way down to the ball, and he's going to try to lay a hit on you. I mean, he's going to try to create impact with every tackle, and uh, those are one of the things that we never, ever tried to slow him down. We never, ever got on him for missed tackles. We just coached him up and taught him how to be a better tackler because when you get a player that's not afraid to tackle and a player that enjoys creating contact, you want him to be able to do that every time he steps onto the field. It's just up to the coaches to give him the tools to put in his tool belt to make him a better tackler. And, and those are some of the things that I enjoy doing. I never had to ask him to tackle. I never had to ask him to run to the ball. I never had to ask him to play with effort. And as a coach, that's a special uh, thing to be able to do that to a player. Yeah, I think Chiefs fans would r- really love uh, hearing that uh, about Chamari Connor and 
know, Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo has never been shy uh, about utilizing all kinds of different looks throughout an entire NFL game. And he utilizes three safeties uh, a little bit more than a lot of other teams in the NFL. And whether it's asking those players to play in coverage or, or, or come up and make a tackle, Jamari, as you've already mentioned, seems like that do-it-all kind of player who's not really afraid to tackle or or drop back into coverage. But how do you uh, envision his coverage skills transferring to the NFL level and going up against the level of competition that he's going to see here this season? You know, I think with reps, he's going to be able to uh, compare to some of the other uh, nickel safeties in the league some of the prolific ones. I think with the reps, he'll understand the speed of the game and he and he is willing to learn. And he's going, he's, he's going to come off to, you know, there's a learning curve there. That for every NFL player, there's a learning curve there. But I think he has the tools to be a good safety, good third safety, a good free safety or a uh, strong safety if you need him. I think uh, his ability to play around the ball close to the line of scrimmage and his willingness to cover away from the line of scrimmage is going to prove valuable for that defense. I think had the game has changed so much, it's become an 11 personnel game, even in the passing and running game, that you have to have that extra tackler on the defense. You can't always just match up with a pure corner because it leaves you liable in the run game. And being able to put multiple safeties on the field to sure that up and not have a big liability in coverage is an advantage for teams. And a lot of teams are going to that uh, third safety instead of a true nickel in those 11 and 10 personnel sets. Yeah. And, and part of those three safety looks is Steve Spagnuolo is basically using that extra guy, almost like a linebacker, which like, uh, again, you talk about uh, how versatile Chamari was at Virginia tech. Like I, I saw he even played some snaps, like kind of <laughs> as a linebacker in your guys' defense. So he really was just kind of playing all over the field. And uh, another thing that I think definitely caught the Chiefs' eye in the pre-draft process was his raw athletic numbers. He had the third highest vertical for a safety at the NFL Combine. He had the fifth most bench reps. And that's something that the Chiefs have really identified over the last few years is we need these guys who can play all over the field. We need the guys who, who are bigger and thicker and can come up and make ta- tackles. So can you just speak a little bit to the training process at Virginia Tech and specifically Chamari's work ethic in taking care of his body? Well, you know, uh, we, we pride ourselves at Virginia Tech. Uh, I'm a proud alum of Virginia Tech, played there from 95 to 98. So we've been playing a style of defense at Virginia Tech for several decades. Our coach now, Coach Pry, coming over from Penn State, was actually on the staff as a graduate assistant when I played there. So he understands the kind of defense that we play. And we're a multiple defense that plays an aggressive style. We pressure a lot. We ask our coverage guy to be uh, really, really, really sound in coverage. And they do a lot of it with no help. And then we ask, turn around and ask those same guys to be really great tacklers. So we, we, we stride and we, and we do the fundamental stuff daily. You know, we don't, put all of our focus on the scheme. We put all our focus on the fundamentals, the tackling, the coverage, and we try to make the game plan and the defense as simple as possible so our guys can play as fast as possible. And that's some of the things that Chamar did well. He played really fast. He played with a ton of confidence, and those confidence were was acquired through the number of reps that he played. He was one of the guys that took advantage of a fifth year. He played as a true freshman, never redshirted, started from a freshman year all the way to his senior year, decided that it would be beneficial to come back and play one more year in the system, especially get an opportunity to move further away from the ball at some snaps in the new defense. And it proved uh, good for him. He was a fourth-round pick. He's got the opportunity of a lifetime. 
And no one in the building at Virginia Tech has any doubt that he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. And the, the Chiefs traded up in the fourth round to go get Jamari. So they identified him as a player at that point in the draft. Like, this is the guy that we are targeting, and this is the guy that we think can can make plays for us and find an impact in, in the fourth round. So they, they obviously identified something in him that they really like as a player. And you know, he's entering a, a crowded Chiefs secondary right now. I mentioned some of the guys that they drafted last season, and they had a lot of young players starting in that secondary last year. They're, they're pretty deep in the safety room, but I, I think something that they, they identified specifically about Chamari was all of the special teams reps and the impact plays that he got at Virginia Tech, where you know Virginia Tech is pretty well known as having one of the better special teams units uh, across all of college football like, e- each and every year. So can you just share a little bit uh, about Virginia Tech's philosophy on special teams and, and why Chamari Connor could make an impact immediately for the Chiefs as a part of that unit? Well, you know, it's no secret about Coach Beamer and, and his legacy at Virginia Tech was built on special teams. Uh, you know, a lot of the conference titles that we've won, the ability to play in a national championship during this era was was because of the, the way we approach special teams. And, uh, you know, the staff that we have now, uh, Coach Hope, he understands that same uh, legacy and, and he puts that same type of detail into our work. And, and we play starters on special teams. And if you are a starter on defense, you're going to play on at least one, possibly two special teams. Start on them. And then you're going to be a backup on two others. And Jamar, you know, embraced that role. He covered a lot of kicks, punts especially. He made a lot of big plays in the punt game. But over his career, he's probably played equally as many special teams reps as he has played defensive reps because he understands the priority in the, in, in the kicking game and how that has won so many ball games for us. And, you know, and, and a lot of t- times it loses ball games for you. So uh, we take special teams really seriously at Virginia Tech. And it's, it's one of the things that that, that that we have a legacy of. And Jamari embraced that. And, and we understand that he knows, you know, he's been told that it's a, he's not afraid of competition. There's a bunch of people in that room. He's ready to beat those guys out. But he understands that an avenue to getting on the field and earning a spot on that roster may take may take special teams reps. And he understands that, and I have no doubt that he's going to uh, be a proven special teams player for you guys and be able to help you out in that uh, area. Um, I do want to start off my thoughts on the podcast today by saying, um, how can I put this? I think I hate my son. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think for I'm reason, or you I'm just kind of think, decided you don't like him anymore. I think I'm comfortable with saying it. Yeah, and, and hate is generally fueled by jealousy and envy, and I envy that little nine year old. I really do. <laughs> it's him. Like not 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 my not my youngest son, um, Nicholas, but 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 my oldest one. Um, it's more of a sports hate driven thing. I don't really hate him overall. Um, but in the sports form, I hate him because he is living in a world, sort of, where he gets he gets to have his favorite team, his favorite sport, his favorite player be the Jordan of sports right now. Oh, so you, you know, just hate your child? Because it. Yeah, I, I told you. I told you it's built, it's built out of envy, all right? <laughs> I, it's built out of envy 
that he is walking around and he gets Patrick Mahomes. Like my like right now, we watch and, and we're we're recording this the day after the ESPYs were aired. We watched the ESPYs, and Patrick Mahomes is clearly the man. Like, not just the man in Kansas City, not just the man on the plaza, not just the man uh, on Truman Corners. Don't know why that was the next place <laughs> I went to. Is Truman Corners still even rolling? We used to go to the movies there all the time. Not the man at Skateland. Not just the man out in Lee Wood. Not just the man in Shawnee or, or Pinstripes or wherever. Not just the man in Westport. Riot Room, Bunker. He's not just the man... In Kansas City, like he is the man in the sports world. My man is out there in a full, call it what you call it, either ivory or cream, double-breasted suit, no shirt underneath. Killing it. Not, I mean, just cool. Hair cut nicely. He's right there, clean and cool, just like LeBron. I mean, he is on the level of LeBron James right now. He is on the level of, like, this is Jeter, the cool dude without even trying. This is Michael Phelps, the guy in the room where all other sports celebrities and figures, the best in the world, bow down and look and say, that that dude over there is the dude in the building. He's what Jordan was. Somehow in Kansas City, they've gotten it. My son has gotten that guy. Sort of, I had Steve DeBerg. <laughs> my my memories of Steve DeBerg was him playing with a broken pinky and having it severely wrapped up. I had Steve Bono. I had Trent Green. I had Elvis Gerbeck. I had, for a minute, Rich Gannon. Those guys can't pull off double-breasted suits with no shirts underneath it. Then they tried to force Brody Croyle on me as I got older. <laughs> I did not. Like, I would never experience – and listen, George don't, Brett – Don't forget Tyler Thigpen and the Kyle not, Orton season. I'm not, I'm not mentioning those, okay? <laughs> those are those those have rolled out of my childhood. Okay, like, I'm not – like, we didn't we, we didn't have those guys. And mind you, George Brett comes before my, my time as a sports fan to have the man. And he wasn't like them. That's who we got. Like, I'm, I'm growing up, and I'm out here, and I'm thinking, like, oh, man, Steve Bono's the business. Like, Steve Bono is the <laughs> he is the best thing. And Joe Montana for a minute. Oh, stop. Joe Montana was 80. <laughs> I, was a, I was a toddler, but I've watched a lot of old games. I'll give me Joe Montana. He was 80. All right. That humongous elbow he had by the time he got here. I sneezed. I, I took a nap, and Joe was gone. I got, I'm sorry, but they just – they have – the absolute dude right now. And it is crazy, man. It's crazy, sir. In the building, like he is becoming the guy in sports right before our eyes. And somehow it's happening here in Kansas City. I, I still to this day cannot cannot get over the fact that, that that that's who the Chiefs have. That's who the city has. It's you mentioned how naturally like cool he is and like he just has this like aura uh, around him of like yeah he is lebron he is michael jordan and when you're watching the new netflix series quarterback like everything he does you're just like this is really just how he is like oh, he, that he's can, really yeah, he's that... really just 
the coolest dude in the locker room and everybody wants to play hard for him because they see how much he cares about all of it and he's so competitive and all he wants to do is win and there's nothing to dislike about him like everything that he does in the series you're like Man, I, I just I'm in love with this guy, and I I, I don't I, I can't believe that he's the Chiefs quarterback. I forgot about this. Or that's right, that quarterback series came out. It's showing a, a completely different light there. Hey man, when he did the when he did the Max Crosby thing, when he got into a Max Crosby, you woke up the wrong mother effer. <laughs> you know I want to say it. You woke you woke up the wrong mother effer. Hey, we ain't never had nobody like that. Let's try. Let Steve Bono try to say that to somebody. Let Elvis Gerbeck try to say that to somebody. We ain't never had nobody like that. I forgot about that series. Yes, it's it's like he's clearly over everybody. It's just you're right. This is beyond Brady, because Brady became cool here lately, and and now you know. And, and I want to take this moment here with Brady to just throw out a little bit of advice. Like he's becoming so cool right now. There's word out there that he may be he may be ready to maybe try to hop on that Kim Kardashian train. And I just want to say, man, just don't bring Kanye into your life. <laughs> listen, I know I listen, we can all look at that and, and think about a great time, what a great time Kim could be. But do not look at what has happened to Pete Davidson. He is relentless. He won't quit. He just tried to do a drive by to ruin Chris Paul's relationship <laughs> and marriage. Don't get into the into the Kanye West business. But this is even different than Brady. Like Brady just wasn't naturally cool. Like he's just in the building and he is just he's just that guy. Well, and, and I think watching quarterback, what was so cool about it for me was like Brady has never given us this level of access before. And even like I know Brady over the last few years has put out a lot of like docuseries and Tom's Facebook time and, and whatever. Like and it's got like a podcast and stuff. But all of that is like highly doctored to make Tom Brady look like this really great guy. Like all of that is highly edited stuff. Whereas quarterback was uncensored. Like, and you know, when you watch the NFL film stuff and like the game recaps where they show the mic'd up and stuff, all that stuff is highly edited by the NFL to cut out a lot of the things. Like the thing about quarterback was it showed Mahomes and who he is on the football field. He's yep. cussing. He's out there throwing F-bombs. He's out there getting in people's faces. He's out there talking trash when he makes incredible plays on the football field. And it showed all of that. That's the NFL content that I want. And I honestly can't believe how unedited it was at times and how personal it was for him because so far in his NFL career, he's never given the public that kind of access into his personal life at all. And it's really smart of him right now because he's the biggest athlete in the in the country at the moment. Like, and, and I think like he's right, he's right up there, there with there. LeBron. And yep. and to give that kind of access this early in his career after the success that he's had is just going to continue to build on to the legend. And the only people that are coming out of this thing being like, "Well, I still hate Patrick Mahomes," are probably Cincinnati Bengals fans, but. Literally, I, I don't think there's anybody else who is a football fan, who is a fan of his greatness and everything that he has achieved so far in his career, who could come out of this series and say, I don't like that guy. Like he does everything that you want a superstar player to be. That's just exactly who he is. And he doesn't have any of the baggage. Like he's he doesn't ever say the wrong thing. Like he literally just lives and breathes football. And all he cares about is being the greatest player in the world. Yeah, the most baggage he has is his brother. 
Like, I mean, yeah. and, and that, I mean, that's that's they, it, they, they go out of their way not to make, to make sure Jackson doesn't say yeah, I'm, I'm about to say, I want to see if he makes it. In this. <laughs> they show I him see. a couple of times. They do not ever let okay, him talk. I, I see, I've seen Randy. I've seen, obviously, Brittany is throughout this sucker. Sterling is throughout it. But, yeah, we ain't seen old Jackson. Um, but but I, I think you're wrong. There are probably some people in Buffalo who still hate his guts. Uh, there, are probably, <laughs> there, are probably, there are probably some people in San Francisco and Philly who hate his guts. But. I just, I, I think one of the things I forgot that quarterback show. I've only seen a few episodes of it. Um, I know it's ten episodes at this point that we're recording this, but I think I remember early on when we when we used to have a different show um, that was well just decimated. But but I remember early on in that I remember saying I felt like Mahomes was 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 more in the LeBron stage of mindset as a star in terms of like more LeBron than the Jordan Brady tiger, just absolute psychopath where it just like they're, they're want, want to win. Kobe just kind of takes over everything. They'll just ruin relationships and everything just because that thing is so important to him. I think watching the quarterback thing, like, I don't think he's all the way nuts there. And, and actually, I like that. Uh, I, I, I'd rather be more on the LeBron end of thing. I think business is a bigger thing to him. It matters to him, and he does think about that. But he's maybe kind of hybrid. There is – I think the thing that we're seeing on this quarterback thing, there is some – there's some competitive psychopath there. There's some competitive oh. over the top that we're we're getting to see more of, like – he had to be he had to be grabbed and he, I thought he wanted to go play defense in that game against the Raiders. Like Andy Andy Reid had to go grab him and pull him back, like a little bit. Like there is some some psycho competitive. Like like he's running running off the field talking about I'm just nasty. I'm just <laughs> I'm just nasty. Once again, I hate my son. He gets to have that guy. There's no way Elvis Gerbeck ran off the field and yelled he's nasty. Right, does like he, I mean, he just, does he? He at least remembers the Alex Smith days, but the, those are even winning no, football they're wiped, teams. They're wiped out of theirs. He's wiped out. He doesn't <laughs> it's just all as far as he's concerned. It's it always been Mahomes. Yes, it's Mahomes and 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 Lorenzo Cain and Eric Hosmer and those Royals. <laughs> there's a part of me. There's a part of me that's kind of glad the Royals are the Royals here of late, and yeah. he has to suffer and sit through what I had to suffer through my whole life. Neither here nor there. But he does. He's got that psycho competitive spirit that that I think is a little bit more than LeBron, but not quite to the crazies of Jordan and Brady well, and Kobe and Tiger. And I think in you know Michael Jordan, greatest athlete of all time, right? Second, but yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. something yeah, that LeBron has diminished his legacy a little bit, like as of late, is like all of the details prior to the social media era of Michael Jordan, like that we've learned like later on, like, you know, the gambling and and, like how, like, and how much he was like, there's people who truly hate him because of how awful he could be like in his competitive nature. And, and he could just be kind of an ass. Um, Like Mahomes, it doesn't even seem like that. Like he is a, a competitive psychopath, but he still has respect for the guys that he's going out there and demolishing and like, and still shows them respect. And I don't think Jordan showed respect to players very often. Like, like, a t- no, he didn't. And um, now it's, I mean, many of his teammates hate him. 
right? Yeah. Like yeah, to I the mean, point Scott, where Scotty yeah. hates Scott. Like, listen, I'm going to tell you what right now. Um, uh, what Pat Pat the Third, uh, Bronze. Like, I don't think Travis Kelsey has to worry about him potentially dating his ex-wife. Like, I think Patrick will will hold that down and say, "Hey, Bronze, man, you can have any any of these other chicks you want, but man, you can't you can't date Travis's ex-wife." Yeah. Like that. I mean, Michael Jordan's son is dating is going to marry Scottie Pippen's ex-wife, right? Like, I mean, he's just rubbing it in. Like, all of them hate him. Like, all of them. Steve Kerr deep down hates hates Michael Jordan's guts, right? Steve Kerr got Jordan Poole. You don't just, you don't just walk away from that. I mean, he may lie. But, I mean, they hate his guts. And you're right. He doesn't do that. I, I tell you, I'm just sitting there thinking, it jumped out to me. And he surprises me every time. Going into this quarterback series, I, I'm serious. I, I was skeptical. And I thought to myself, like, Patrick is not really interesting and he's not really interested in being interesting, right? Like he's kind of Derek Jeter-esque, like he doesn't want to be. Yeah. Like it is. And I'm, and I'll tell you another thing that jumped out to me in terms of who he is and how popular he is and how much he is the guy. I fully expected when they played that, the match thing and it was him and it was Kelsey against, um Steph Curry and Clay the Liar, um, who said he had a 12 handicap, 12 handicap in my ass. Um, uh, with that. I thought I fully expected like Steph to be the star. Because we just know Steph, Steph's been out. Steph is Patrick Mahomes was clearly the star of that. Like he's clearly the star yeah. of that thing. Like, and, and the only person in the room that rivaled his stardom in the ESPYs yesterday was LeBron. And that was and that is that that like these last this last month with those two events is really kind of jump started to me like who he is and how and how popular he is. That's I, I don't want to spoil too much of the series because you haven't watched the entire thing. I binged all eight episodes in a single day and oh I thought it was ten. It's the 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 uh, divisional round playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars where he hurt his ankle is spectacular. Like the the access that we got to him while he was going through that injury and his reaction and like everything that he was doing on the sidelines that we didn't have like full audio clips of up until this point is all incredible. And it tells you everything you need to know and why, even if you don't like him, even if you're not a Kansas State Chiefs fan, you got to respect the hell out of who he is as a player and, and how bad he wanted to get back into that football game. Definitely. And another thing I think you would appreciate that I thought was really funny is after that game where, you know, he's going through, uh, he, he's going to have to go get work in that week and get the ankle worked on and everything. Brittany mentions like, man, can't wait for him all week long to uh, not help with the kids. Cause he's just going to get up in the morning and say, he's got to go get worked on at the facility. And then he's going to hang out. He's going to hang out at the facility all day and get work on his ankle and then come back after the kids are already in bed. So he doesn't have to help with anything. I was like, yeah, that sounds like that. That sounds like my quarterback. Like that sounds like the guy that I want to root for. Good for him. Cause I know my ass would have been helping. <laughs> I, I would have been. I think I'd have been forced to. Hey, you got this morning feeding. All right, I understand. You better get that crutch. You better get that boot on. You got the, You got this morning. You're gonna at least allow me to take a damn shower. I think I would have got that one. No, but man, Patrick Mahomes, man, the, the kids out there that are around 
my son's age that are getting to live this life of following Patrick Mahomes, I just want to honestly tell you, congratulations. Look at what you get to have. And I hate all of your guts. <laughs> Every last one of you.